Marcus Magnus Punches Reality at TwoTrueFreaks.com. Discussion about comics, movies, and TV shows. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality every Tuesday at TwoTrueFreaks.com. Hey everybody, Magnus here. Had a pretty bad case of insomnia a while back, so I headed out to pick up a snack. It's probably about ooh, 1.30 in the morning. It was around there. Anyway. So, rolled up to a stoplight and was just sitting there waiting when I noticed that somebody had pulled up next to me at the light. So, glanced over and saw that it was some chick driving a smart car. I don't know why, but this struck me as very funny. I couldn't help myself, so I laughed. And I laughed and laughed and laughed. Well, I guess she noticed me laughing because the second the light turned green, she flipped me off and floored it. If she'd been driving pretty much anything else, I guess the, dis- the, the display of speed might have been a pretty good retort, but it wasn't. Anyway, so flip me off and she floored it. Yeah, that'll show me. So she zipped off down the road and left me behind. That's pretty easy to do because I drive pretty much like a granny. Anyway, about a mile up the road, I saw her pulled over in a side parking lot with a police car sitting right behind her, right as the cop was getting out with his little ticket book in his hand. I waved as I went by, and I guess the cop thought that was meant for him because he waved back. And then I laughed some more. your attention, please! This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Uh, Dr. Doom wears body to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. to Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. I'm your host, Trentus Magnus, podcasting to you live in the sense that I recorded this months ago, but I've only released it now. And around here, I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. Better than anybody else, I might add. I just wrapped up a mini-series all about Superman origin stories not long ago, and it was a lot of fun, so... I'm starting up another mini-series this week dedicated to Elseworlds. 
Told you I'd do some more Elseworld stuff, didn't I? But you didn't believe me. You never believe me, and then, and in the end, you always end up being proven wrong. Sucks to be you, I guess. But anyway, so yeah, I, that's what I'm talking about today, and to kick things off, I brought some help with me. I now welcome, for the first time to this podcast, Professor Allen. How you doing, Professor Allen? I'm doing awesome. It's just honored to be in your Magnus, this, this, Magnus, is presence. I get that all the time. All yeah, the time. yeah. <laughs> Uh, Professor Allen is the host of the Quarter Bin podcast, which I love. It's a to-the-point, witty, and concise type of show. So if you're not listening to it, you really should be. You're only hurting yourself if you're not. So kind of, you're kind of a loser. I would put it. Yeah, I would actually very much agree with that. You know, I'd also like to welcome for the first time to my show, and very possibly for the first time to anybody's shows except his own. The tenured <laughs> Superman professor, Michael Bailey. How you doing, Michael? I'm just, just glad this room is as big as it is to handle the sheer amount of ego that is filling the space right now. <laughs> really? You always seem like a very humble person to me. <laughs> well, anyway. Exactly. <laughs> when, it, when it comes to ego, we are full of it. <laughs> we are a living planet, one might say. Uh, Bailey's the host of uh, Views from the Long Box. Uh, Two True Freaks, Comics Monthly Monday, and From Crisis to Crisis, uh, Superman Podcast, not to mention about a zillion others. And none of these count the podcasts that he hasn't debuted yet, such as From Here to Eternity, a Frank Sinatra podcast, From Memphis to Vegas, an Elvis Presley podcast, From Stewie to Peter, a Family Guy podcast, From Justin to Kelly, a shitty movie podcast, from Michael to Michelle, a post-op podcast. From Hell to Swamp Thing, an Alan Moore podcast in reverse. From Each According to His Ability to Each According to His Need, a Marxist Revolutionary podcast. And my personal favorite, From First, Last Two, podcast a dyslexic. So, anyway, what's going on, guys? <laughs> I suffer from listixia, the tatural nancy to suck up your fillables and wess up your merds. <laughs> 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 That's great. <laughs> what about you, Professor Allen? What's up? Well, I'm 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 pretty sure running these uh reading these three issues of well I can't say yet. Read uh preparing for this particular podcast, I feel like I've uh I feel like I am on a Marxist Leninist podcast. In the sense that I'm the supreme dictator and everyone who doesn't agree with me is gonna be sent to a gulag. There's I always that figured that's how it would work, so yeah, this is why you guys need to hope I don't ever achieve absolute power, actually. <laughs> I, I, I think Bailey's tough. I mean, he's worked with he's worked with Gardner. He's worked with Taylor. I think he can handle this. Me, I just work with my daughter. So please, I am very scared right now. Well, it's okay. Bailey doesn't bite. He does kick, but he doesn't bite. <laughs> and your daughter's kind of tough, so I, I think you've been uh, – I think you're doing okay there. <laughs> I, I think I've been well-trained. <laughs> well, officially, these guys are here to help me talk about some Elseworlds comics. Unofficially. They're here to keep me from having another meltdown like I did in the Superman Secret Origin episode, wherein I almost gave myself a heart attack when I was ranting about Jeff Johns and Gary Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just practice. Come in off the ledge, Trentus. Come in off the ledge. <laughs> I don't think, uh, well, well, at least for, for one of these, you won't have that problem. For the other, 
Well, for the other, if you get upset about it, I, I, I just I, I just would have to say there are better things to get upset about than than that. So uh, you know what? Um, we'll just see about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Wikipedia says that Elseworlds is the publication imprint for a group of comic books produced by DC Comics that takes place outside the company's canon. The imprint presents narratives in which existing characters or storylines are introduced to an entirely new idea or concept and often put into alternate timelines or realities. Gotham by Gaslight, featuring Batman, is considered to be the first Elseworlds story. The Elseworlds name was copyrighted in 1989, the same year as the first Elseworlds publication, and supplanted the previous Imaginary Stories series that employed the same premise. Unlike its Marvel Comics counterpart, What If, which bases its stories on a single point of divergence from the regular continuity, most Elseworlds stories instead take place in entirely self-contained continuities, with the only connection to the canon DC continuity being the presence of familiar DC characters. That's where the Wikipedia entry ends. So, I guess the definition for dumbasses would be that um, Elseworlds takes a familiar co- character or concept and puts it into a completely different context. And that's about as simple as I can make it. So, the comic this time is Superman Red Sun. Now, I assembled this crack team of podcasters partly because I seriously dig their shows and partly because they're the only two who replied to me when I sent out invitations, which just about tells me where I rate in the podcasting community. Anyhow, uh, what we're going to do now is uh, just take a quick break, play some promos, and then we're going to be back to talk about Superman Red Sun. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice, a guardian devil. No, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's it's my Daredevil. You get it. You get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? Now, introducing the We're Alive Fancast, a fancast dedicated to a story of survival. Hey, this is Mick. This is Redbeard. We would like to introduce our new fancast, in which we will be covering season four of the zombie podcast audio drama known as We're Alive. Join us as we review each episode as it comes out, leading into the conclusion of this great zombie story. We can be found at mickred.com, that's M-I-C-K-R-E-D.com, or by searching for We're Alive Fancasts on iTunes and Facebook. And we're back now, uh, beginning my series on uh, Elseworlds Comics first up. 
is uh, Superman Red Sun. So, um, who would like to read uh, the summary, or do I need to read the summary, or who would who, like to do this? Out of uh, Wikipedia, or? Or out of Wikipedia, if you'd like. I mean, I've already got the Wikipedia page pulled up, so uh, I could do it if you want, or, or uh, however you want to do it. Alrighty, uh, from Wikipedia, because I have really gotten to the point where typing up synopsis is, it gives me highs. In the, 1950- in the 1950s, the Soviet Union reveals its newest asset to be Superman. The sudden revelation of a superpowered alien under Soviet control panic causes panic in the United States, shifting the focus of the Cold War arms race, Link, from nuclear weapons to superhumans. CIA agent Jim Olsen recruits Lex Luthor, or Luthor, depending on how you want to pronounce it, a scientist employed by Star Labs to destroy Superman. Luther's first act is to call Sput- cause Sputnik 2 to plummet towards Metropolis. After Superman diverts the satellite away from the city, Luther retrieves his genetic material and creates a clone of Superman, whom Lex Luthor officially names Superman 2, when he is unveiled to James Olsen. The clone's appearance is monstrous and is this world's equivalent to Bizarro. Did you really have to spell that out, Mr. Wikipedia writer? But meanwhile, Superman meets Wonder Woman at a diplomatic party and she becomes smitten by him. Pitor Rosloff, head of the NKVD and Joseph Stalin's illegitimate son, is angry that Superman has turned his father's attention away from him and ended his chances of advancement within the Soviet regime. Pitor. That's, probably, that's actually probably how we got NKVD. Yeah, I was about to say. Uh, Pitor shoots a dissident couple in front of their son for printing anti-Superman propaganda. Stalin dies from cyanide poisoning, and Superman initially refuses to command the Communist Party. However, a chance meeting with Lana Lazarenko, his childhood sweetheart, changes his mind. Superman chooses to use his powers for the greater good and turn his country into a utopia. By the... uh, I, oh, speaking of skipping stuff, the U.S. government sends Bizarro to engage Superman and their duel causes an accident, accidental nuclear missile launch in Great Britain. The clone sacrifices itself to save millions. Luther murders his research staff at Star Labs and founds Luther <laughs> dedicating his life to destroying Superman. By 1978, the United States is on the verge of social collapse, whereas the prosperous Soviet Union has peacefully expanded its influence to nearly every corner of the globe. The cost of this progress is an increased infringement on individual liberties, with Superman fast becoming a big brother-like figure, a brain surgery technique that turns dissidents into obedient drones, or Superman robots is in use. Superman now works with Wonder Woman to save lives as well as govern the Soviet state. Wonder Woman has become enamored of Superman, but he considers her simply a comrade. She got comrades on uh, It is oblivious to her love for him. Luther plans to shrink Moscow, but this plan fails when Brainiac, his collaborator, shrinks Stalingrad instead. Superman intervenes and retrieves both Brainiac's central processing unit and the tiny city, putting an end to the Brainiac-Luther cooperation. He is unable to restore Stalingrad and its inhabitants to their proper size. This This becomes his one failure and a source of great guilt. Their second plan involves Batman, who is revealed as the boy orphaned by Pitor because no one saw that coming. Batman joins forces with Luther Corps and Pitor, now the head of the KGB. They capture Wonder Woman and use her as bait for Superman, hoping to sap his powers with rays that imitate the light of Superman's native sun. 
The plan works, but Wonder Woman breaks free and rescues Superman, seriously injuring herself. Rather than face capture and likely lobotomization, Batman commits suicide, and Peter is turned into a Superman robot. That's a shitty day right there. (laughs) You lose Wonder Woman, and Batman dies, and a dude is turned into a robot. Life sucks. Luther enacts his third plan when he finds a mysterious Green Lantern found in an alien ship that crashed at Roswell, New Mexico, because apparently in this universe, Green Lantern rings don't go to find a new host after the person dies. That's in my notes, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Brainiac is reprogrammed into Superman's aid and the construction of a fortress of solitude located in Siberia and referred to as the Winter Palace begins. Superman's reign continues with no crime, poverty, or unemployment, but with an ever-present state authority. Superman is committed to winning the argument with the U.S. and repeatedly refuses Brainiac's suggestion of an invasion. Stalingrad remains his one failure, now contained with a, in a protective glass bottle. Luther is elected president of the United States, with Olsen as his vice president. Using his scientific expertise, massive economic capital, and dictatorial powers, Luther returns prosperity to his country there this is only a part of one general plan to provoke superman into evading the united states luther shows olsen two of his greatest discoveries the phantom zone a place that superheroing cannot reach and the green lantern core luther confronts superman in the winter palace brainiac yanks luther deep into the recesses of the fortress to be converted surgically into a superman robot claiming that lex would convince superman to commit suicide in less than 14 minutes Superman agrees that his hand has been forced and prepares to attack. First, Lady Lois Luther visits Themyscira to forge an alliance with the Amazonian Empire, now ruled by an embittered and vengeful Wonder Woman. <laughs> Superman attacks. How's that for a woman scorned, huh? <laughs> Superman attacks the East Coast, confronting and defeating the Gr- Green Lantern Marine Corps, which is led by Colonel Hal Jordan. The Amazon forces, commanded by Wonder Woman, attack Superman, but are quickly defeated within, along with a collection of super menaces, including Atomic Skull, Parasite, and Doomsday, that Luther has put together over the years. Brainiac's spaceship cuts the U.S. Pacific fleet to pieces, and the two super beings meet at the White House. They are greeted by Lois Luthor with the last weapon, a small note written by Luthor that reads, Why don't you just put the whole world in a bottle, Superman? Check and mate. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Realizing he is in meddled in affairs that had no place in, Superman orders Brainiac to end the invasion. Brainiac reveals how that has never been under Superman's control and instead stat in, in that really I can read and instead attacks Superman with green radiation analogous to green kryptonite. Brainiac is shut down from inside by Luther who evaded surgery as a singularity's powering Brainiac ship threatened to collapse. Superman rockets into space where it explodes. The earth is saved, but Superman is thought dead. Soviet Union falls into chaos, but is soon brought back under control thanks to the Batman, resistant members who begin wearing the costume after Batman's death, and Lex Luthor integrates many of Superman and Brainiac's ideas into the new philosophy of Lutherism and forms a global United States. This becomes the defining moment for mankind's future as it enters an unprecedented age of peace and stability, a benevolent world government, there are three words that never belong together, is formed and maintained. (laughs) Luther presides over a string of scientific achievements, including the curing of all known disease and colonization of the solar system. Luther lives for over 1,000 years. 
At Clark's funeral, it is revealed that Superman survived the explosion. Oh, at, Luth- at Luther's funeral, excuse me. It is revealed that Superman survived the explosion of Brainiac's ship and is apparently immortal. Superman attends the funeral wearing a business suit and thick glasses, essentially identical to the appearance of Clark Kent, an identity he never adopted in the Red Stun storyline. Thank you for letting us know at this late date. Luther's widow, Lois, sees Clark in the crowd, other than an eerie sense of deja vu, suspects nothing. Superman walks away quietly from the ceremony, planning to live among humans rather than ruling over them. Billions of years in the future, it is revealed that Earth is being torn apart by tidal stresses from the sun, which has become a red giant. Luther's dis- distant descendant, Jor-El, sends his infant son, Kal-El, rocketing back into the past. Final panels of the comic book depict the landing of Kal-El's ship in a Ukrainian collective in 1938, effectively call it, c- causing a predestination paradox. And, and that's how it ends. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> so, um, what did everybody think? Um, Michael, you can go first if you'd like, or if you need a break, you can uh, just put Professor Allen in your place, whichever. If Allen wants to go first, that's fine. I've been put on my I've been put in my place before. Uh, I you know I enjoyed it. I I thought there were some interesting um, aspects to it. I don't mind the Wonder Woman Superman relationship. You know I think that the lowest Superman relationship is rem is sort of a remnant of a golden age storytelling. And I don't think that's critical to the mythos. I, I kind of like Wonder Woman and Superman. Um, does anyone remember how what if Captain America was elected president ended? So I'm not sure. I thought it would basically like everybody died. I mean, that's, isn't that how all of those what if stories ended? <laughs> yeah, like everybody sure. fucking died? Like I'm it's a good thing sure. things happened the way that they did? I'm, I'm not sure that super obedience as a superpower is one. I mean, I know we've had an super ventriloquism, uh, various – I'm not sure that <laughs> – Getting people to obey you constitutes a superpower. Uh, I, th- I thought there were some interesting shout-outs, too. I mean, that's one of the things that, uh, in general that an Elseworld story can do is you know, shout-out to Lori Lamaris or uh, George Taylor, things like that. I think part of what I look for in, a, in an Elseworld or an imaginary story is, is things like that that make it enjoyable. I thought the ending was kind of odd. I'm not totally sure how that time loop works, but you know, time I've got loops a note about that always, myself, actually. Yeah. yeah time, I mean, time loops by definition are always a little hinky, and I guess as long as you're consistent, and this was the only, this was the only aspect of that we saw in this story. So I guess in general, that that sort of works. Um, but that's uh, sort of my off the top of the head comments oh, very good uh michael do you need to take a drink of water and have no me- i'm good i mean this this story when it came out uh back in 2003 it was it was one of those elseworld stories ideas that they had been talking about since the beginning of the concept of elseworlds right you would read interviews with people and like well you can do anything you can have superman land in russia so when this came out, it was like, finally, we get to see that story. And overall, it, it, it's a very enjoyable piece. I think that it kind of explores in 
as much detail as you really need to the idea of what really would happen if, if Superman landed in Russia during the Cold War. Because I think that's an important qualifier. You know, if, if, he enjoy, if he lands in Russia 30 years ago, it's still during the Cold War, but it's getting towards the end of it. So that would be a completely different story of Superman in Russia coming to power during the Reagan administration rather than the Eisenhower administration. So using the Cold War setting, I think, was a good decision because I, I think things probably might have gone... Actually, no, I think it would have been interesting to see what would happened during the Reagan administration now that I that I think about it. But I like Cold War stories, so that was kind of right up my alley in the first issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, my one big problem with the story is... And I didn't have this problem at the time, but since I've seen it so much since 2003 and the 10 intervening years, I really hate the super intelligent, super obnoxious character that writers like Mark Miller will create. In the first issue, Lex is just rattling off all these things. You know, I I invented this, you know, while I was thinking about something else. And it's just like, okay, 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 I get it. He's smart. All right, you don't need to beat my... Oh, okay, he's learning another language. Okay, I get it. He's smart. Oh, oh he's playing chess with a robot oh, that he created. Okay, yeah, okay, that that's fine. So it seemed to me, though, that as the story progressed, Miller didn't know what where to take the, the, the end game of this story. Mm-hmm. Because the first issue is all set, you know, right around the death of Joseph Stalin. Second issue jumps up a few years into 1978, where apparently JFK is president because Richard Nixon was assassinated in 1963. And that's one of my little, that's one of my little bug me things because Kennedy was assassinated in 1963 for a very specific reason. It is up to you to decide what that specific reason is, uh, depending on what your flavor of conspiracy theory is. But Kennedy was killed because of decisions he made during his presidency, I believe. So if you're going to go with that, Nixon would not have made those same decisions because I don't think there would have been a problem with Cuba, for example. So there would have been no Bay of Pigs. You know, so it's it's like when when you... I don't know why UK writers do this more than American writers, uh, especially like one of my big problems is when uh, a, a writer will say that the Confederacy won the Civil War and still has the KKK around. That was because Alan that, Moore in Supreme or? Yeah, and, and it's been done in other places too. Oh. And it just it just bugs the crap out of me because basically what it's saying, because the KKK came around for a very specific reason. Right. It's it's not like <laughs> yeah it's a post civil war thing there's no question about it yeah yeah <laughs> and and but more to the point it's just like why would you need to form that organization if you won so um sorry I, I get really annoyed with that kind of thing my biggest problem oddly enough with this story was the cute ending now there was I'm trying to remember where I read this. But I think that one of the early ideas that uh, that Siegel had was that Krypton would still be in our solar system mm-hmm. when it exploded. Right. right. And this could be me mixing up different interviews, because I've read so many, that one of the ideas was that it is that 
Krypton was Earth in the future. So maybe that's where, according to Wikipedia, Grant Morrison gave him this idea. But I really don't like the idea that the L stands for Luther at the end of the day, uh, because they're all because de- Jorel is a is a descendant of Lex Luthor and sends his son into the past. I just it's too cute. It's just it's you know yes it brings us back to the beginning of the story and everything ties up, but I didn't like it as a reader. Also, if the sun had turned red giant, it would have wiped the earth out. Yeah. Before it got to the point where the earth is exploding. Because I've seen the diagrams of what happens when our sun turns into a red giant. (laughs) It's a bad day for everybody up to Mars, basically. (laughs) Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, I like the, you know, a, a few of those things, you know, I... I agree that the uh, you know the cute ending. I, I actually kind of liked up right up until that point. I was sort of I was sort of smiling about about the impact of Luther and the L's, and you know, I, I didn't mind that until it totally turned around into the sending them back into the past, and that obviously was the way you had to wrap up the story. You know, in general, ending things is really hard. Ending movies, ending novels, ending short, you know, uh, three-issue miniseries like this where you have to have a a specific ending. Ending TV shows is really hard. One of the advantages that general comic books have is the soap opera serialized nature. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of issues. Right. Until your comic company reboots and everything starts over at number one, but theoretically, yeah, Jesus, you know, you, you do never have to come to an ending. And I've, I've over the years, I've I've become a little mellower about that. I, I don't let an ending ruin an entire reading experience, unless it's something unless it's something like a mystery novel where the ending is the point. Yeah, I, I, I'm actually the total opposite. I'm t- perfectly willing to let an ending ruin things for me, but um, I can appreciate your point of view. I also liked, um, you know, you, you talked about the superhuman Luther, and obviously there's some exaggeration and silliness in that. I do like the idea, though, of Superman being outsmarted. I never bought the idea that different gravity and a different colored sun would make the neurons in the brain fire so differently that the silver age Superman who can read a textbook on uh, a medical textbook and do brain surgery and could do it. You know, the, the super brains as a superpower. I like the fact that Luther and Brainiac both outsmart him. I like it too. (sighs) Well, I guess as for me, I should start by saying that I love, love, fucking love Red Sun. Um, in a strange kind of way, it's one of... I feel weird actually saying that it's one of my favorite Superman stories. I mean, it is, but for some kind of weird reasons. I love fictional al- uh, alternate histories. I like fiction centering on the Cold War. And I love seeing a kind of, sort of, Golden Age Superman, so 
There's really not a whole lot about Red Sun, especially the first issue that isn't right in my wheelhouse. It's uh, my view. Red Sun is one of those stories that absolutely benefits from the multi-issue format. There's really no way that you could you, that you could do a story like this with any kind of justice in a one-shot issue. Uh, DC had finally gotten away from their boner for doing all of these things in uh, a single issue, and in a great many cases, I think it actually works to the story's benefit. So, <clears throat> one of the things that I appreciate most about Red Sun, though, is how it's it's truly an Elseworlds story. Uh, this isn't a case where only one thing has changed. This is a completely different ordering of the DC universe. Lana and Batman are Soviet citizens, and Oliver Queen works at the Daily Planet, and Jimmy Olsen is an agent for the CIA. Things like that. It 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 works for me because it's not it, it's not a situation where only one small thing gets changed. That this is a complete reinvention, and um, I I like that. But one thing that definitely plays for me about this series is seeing how much with Superman has changed, but at the same time, how much remains the same. He's still fundamentally Superman, but in this case, shaped by Soviet values. And those Soviet values can have some negative manifestations vis-a-vis a Big Brother police state. But that all comes from wanting to make the world perfect for everybody. So, you know, by the end of the story, the question I think you're kind of supposed to ask is, where's the morality in quashing the human spirit in order to ensure human survival? Now, still, I think you could argue that the real beneficiary of Red Sun's largesse is Lex Luthor. Um, Mark Miller includes all three major conceptions of Lex Luthor in Red Sun. The first issue shows the mad scientist. The second issue shows us the the uh, captain of industry, industrialist. And the third issue centers on President Luthor. So all three are present and accounted for, and that that works very well for me. So I think, he, I think Miller also does a, uh, a phenomenal job positioning Lex as Superman's primary adversary. I mean, they're locked in a battle of wills, and it's to me, it's, it just makes for fun reading this kind of one-upmanship that they have with each other. Now, there are a few weak spots. One thing that kind of... It didn't bother me at the time, but it kind of has... It just grates my nerves in rereadings. Is The first issue is a little... It's, it's kind of too self-aware for, for my taste. I mean, there's even a bit where Lex remarks that he and Superman would have been the best of friends if Superman's rocket had landed in America. Well, we all know that's not true. Another one is Superman. Let me uh, let me in- interrupt you there, Trennis, because that's one of the parts that I liked about it. And I think Luther is correct in that he assesses that he and Superman would have to cross paths, and, and I, I I think that part is correct. You know, if he had landed. 12 hours earlier, as, 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 as one person pointed out, um, and had become and, and had landed in the U.S. or landed somewhere else, mm-hmm. that uh, they would have been – well, I, I just like the idea that Luther knows that they, their paths would have crossed. And I, that one made me chuckle slash smile. They would not have been the best of friends. That we know, and obviously to an, to an Elseworld story – 
we're bringing that this is an, an independent set aside story. But obviously, we bring part of the part, part of the fun is that we we're bringing the experiences, the quote unquote real world version of the story. And I actually thought there was some insight to Luther there. It's may, per, uh, perhaps one of the only mistakes uh, that he makes in these issues. Uh, but fundamentally, he's right that that he and Superman were destined, quote unquote, to uh, have some type of major relationship. Okay, all right, well, fair enough. I, it just it, that's one of those things that just stood out to me, and and I don't know, I just I didn't appreciate it. Um, but I'm happy that you did. Um, and the the other thing that kind of jumped out at me was Superman musing over the so-called alternate history that someone wrote, where. He and Lois Lane became lovers and how successful it ended up becoming and just how mind-boggling Superman found it that – and why it is that that book or whatever it was struck a, such a chord with the public. And I just – I mean I just thought those two moments – they weren't exactly jump-the-shark moments, but I just thought that was – those were two moments of seriously overdoing it, you know? So – Another well, Miller Miller as a writer is not known for being subtle, so um, I, I just kind of I just kind of took that as what he does. And, and to be fair, at this point we're still dealing with pre you know Civil War Miller, uh, where his right you know at least in terms of Superman, I don't know if either of you ever read any of his Superman Adventures issues. Only a few. Uh, that he read that yeah. he wrote but he he wrote a great run on that book and it was a book that you know i don't to be fair i don't expect much from the you know adventures books or the ones that are based on the animated series uh, that's happening at the time but for some reason when he came onto that book it really kind of took off and he seemed to have a lot of fun with it and here you know it's obvious he has a lot of love for the character and i think I kind of agree with both of you. I agree with Trentus that it's a little too on the nose. It's a little too cute. Like, you know, oh, yeah, they were friends in the Silver Age, and then they became enemies, so I'm going to reference that. And, oh, Lois and Superman are together, but it's not happening here, but it could, and somebody wrote a story about it, and that's how I'm going to deal with it. But on the other hand, it's just like, it is it is an obvious reflection of his love for the history of this character. Right. The third thing is, <clears throat> I don't even know if this is necessarily anybody's fault, but another weak spot is kind of the, the transition from Dave Johnson's art in the first two issues to uh, Killian Plunkett in the third. Now, nothing against Killian Plunkett, as I think the third issue has some amazing work in it, but I'd have preferred that Dave Johnson do all the art for the series. I have no idea why... Uh, Plunkett came on board for the third issue or what the behind-the-scenes story is there. All I'm saying is it would have been nice if Dave Johnson could have done all three issues. And um, I guess my final sort of quibble is um, this is a Superman that manifestly is from the planet Earth. He's basically sent back in time, and his native son should be a, a red giant, which doesn't immediately kill him but whatever we're gonna roll with that um sent back in time and is then given superpowers by yellow sun radiation you all basically agree right that's, that's mm -hmm. okay 
What exactly did Brainiac shoot at him then on the White House lawn in the third issue? It's colored green, but it really can't be kryptonite because kryptonite can't really exist. So the fuck was that? Some weird radiation he discovered that could hurt Superman? I, I, that's, that's the only thing I can really come up with. Because you're right, it can't be kryptonite because there is no planet Krypton. Right. So, and this, I mean, plot. even if that had come in the like the first or the second issue, because <clears throat> apparently the um, time travel thing that was a late addition to the thing. I mean, he was well in his way of making this book before that ever came up. So if that had, so if the kryptonite thing had actually popped up in the first or second issue, I'd have rolled with it. You know, who you don't necessarily know where the creative muse is going to take you, and so to me, that's it, it, it's one of those things it wouldn't be worth making a big stink about. But this comes up. The, that green whatever that is comes up in the very issue where it's revealed that Superman is human so this is one of those things that you know Mark did you not read just two or three pages ahead in, in your own fucking script here I mean you know something you know I mean throw me a crumb I guess is, is what I'm saying so it's not we're getting pissed off over I'm just saying that kind of jumped out at me especially on the reread that um no, anyway, so no sense beating that to death. But you guys got any ideas or what? Yeah, I mean, I guess you needed some equivalent for Kryptonian, and maybe Plutonium was the closest we could come up with. <laughs> <laughs> I like that Plutonium. I like that. <laughs> but I mean, but I, I, you know, as you were sort of uh, uh, talking about that, you know, Superman has his superpowers because he was he wasn't raised on Krypton. But he was raised on an Earth with a different colored sun. And then when he comes back, is that the theory? Right. Hmm. At least I think, I, I think it's a theory. I mean, uh, again, I, was, I, was, uh, I, I didn't know where the story w was going to end. Mm -hmm. And so I was you know, 90% of the way, 95% of the way through it when I realized, oh, he's not actually from Krypton. So that plot twist, sort of in in retrospect, there are some issues that would come up on a second or third reading. All right. Well, <clears throat> my usual policy is that anytime I, I uh, read, review, or otherwise talk about a Mark Miller comic book, there's I wouldn't presume to know what goes on in that guy's head at any time, so um, I dare not speculate. So, all right. On the art, I, I, I agree the first two issues – I thought they really captured a lot of the Golden Age characters, mm -hmm. you know, Golden Age images of the characters, mm -hmm. and I really like that. I did like the only th the only thing I noticed in the third uh, in in the third issue. It, it certainly was a change of pace. I did love again. It's a you know it's an internal sort of reference, but I love there's a early on a shout out to Action Comics number one that I thought was absolutely uh, brilliant when they uh, are looking into what's going on around, I guess, around the U.S. Or, mm -hmm. And there's, you know, the it's uh, in, in terms of the riots and there's, you know, a car being overturned. Oh, right, right, right. Running off with his hand over his head and the exact tie um Flying in, in in the right way, so I like that. But again, that's a, that's just a moment, and I, and I, you know, there are a lot of those moments that I liked in this story. Though the more you think about it, as you said, some of the plot holes and some of the other things 
um, you know, start to weigh against that. Well, yeah, and I guess speaking of plot, well, I don't even know if I want to go this go so far as to call this a plot hole so much as it so much as it's it's just kind of unnecessary and sort of cutesy as the uh, Green Lantern Marine Corps, among others, seems to consist of Hal Jordan. Guy Gardner, Guy Gardner. Guy Ra- Kyle Rayner. I think they even work in uh, John. St- do they or do they not work in John Stewart? I don't remember. I don't think they do. But it was one of those moments that actually kind of bugged me because I'm like, no, wait. When 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 a Green Lantern crashes, the ring goes out on its own. Yeah, the America America is awesome, but if this thing had crash landed, they they wouldn't have gotten the ring. Because the ring itself would have gone and found a new guardian. And that actually would have been a more interesting way to take the story, is that the ring finds an American, and they make him the hero. Now, Hal Jordan's backstory... I thought that was freaking awesome. I mean, it's it, but it's one of those things where it's it, it was cool, but, it, but at the same time, it's one of those things where Miller is really, like, super overthinking it. I mean, the idea that he was an American POW in, uh, in Vietnam, basically, because I guess we never got out of Vietnam. Uh, though why we would have started to fight in Vietnam with Superman around is, again, totally beyond the point. Um, but the fact that he was a POW and Chuck Norris doesn't exist in this reality, or and neither does Rambo, so neither one of them can go save him. Right. So he constructs in his mind a concentration camp for his captors to keep himself sane. And that's pretty badass, and it's basically to show that he has a will of iron. You know, he was starved down to 90 pounds, but he survived, and then gets his ass kicked pretty quickly. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> this guy is set up as, like, to be this uber badass, and he's just, like, take it out. Like, the Green Lanterns are not a problem, which I think is a, is kind of a, a story misstep, because what you're, what you're doing is establishing a threat, you build that threat up to be monumental, and then when that threat is taken out so easily, it kind of it doesn't ruin it. Because because I'm with you, Trent or Alan, you know the the ending of this story and certain elements of this story was not enough to completely ruin the story for me. Because I think you know it was a solid enough concept to explore, and I think at its heart, the best part about it is that you have that no matter where Superman. It lands as long as good people raise him, he will have the proper emotional and, you know, solid bedrock of doing what's right, that he he will become a hero to a certain extent. You know, he, he is raised by this Ukrainian farming couple. I don't know how they managed to hide him for so long, but he's raised <laughs> by this Ukrainian you know, uh, farming in this collective and is basically brought up to believe in the communist doctrine, uh, you know, and when he gets to the city, as he keeps calling it, and he gets under the thumb of Joseph Stalin, he is basically corrupted by the system. Not that, not that he wouldn't be if this was placed in America because super patriotism can be just as bad. You know, when you start taking away civil liberties, that's where things get hinky. And I think that's one of the great parts of the story is that Superman does go down the wrong path, but then realizes his mistake 
and lets humanity sort it out for themselves. <clears throat> and that's actually where I'm going to have to jump in here and just kind of raise the bullshit flag. Um, honestly, Superman's hands are they're a little too clean in, in, that, in that respect because at every step of the way, he's always kind of being... I don't want to go so far as necessarily say, you know, he's being a puppet of somebody else's uh, decisions. But first, there's there's uh, there's Stalin, who's kind of ordering him around. And then it becomes pretty clear after uh, in the third issue that the majority of things that Superman been up, ha- had been up to, he was basically being uh, played like a fiddle by, by Brainiac. And so it sort of raises the question then of what would Superman have done under his own influence, without um, uh, any kind of outside force dictating to him what he needs to do. I mean, his name kind of gets dragged through the mud here, but one of the, but one of the things that did kind of bother me about this is that he's got the ultimate excuse at every step of the way. The one time he was he, he was really doing his own thing and, I guess, being captain of his own destiny was in the first few pages of the first issue where he's basically just a superhero, and then that's it. But from... A certain point on, whenever he becomes um, the president, he's constantly reacting to what other people are wanting to do, rather wanting him to do, rather than necessarily executing his own will and his own desires. And that kind of bothered me because, like I said, I mean, it just kind of feels like he's got the ultimate excuse rather than being able to, I don't know, take responsibility for his actions. And that is, and and I think that's kind of kind of goes hand in hand with my problems with how Lex Luthor is treated too, is that Lex, Lex is ultimately the hero of this story, uh, which kind of bugs me on a fundamental level. Cause I don't think Lex should be the hero, right? But when you really think about it, he is as obnoxious as he is and as evil as he can be in the end, Lex is the creator of Superman in a really weird way. Yeah, if you're going right. to consider being the ancestor uh, to to who Superman eventually becomes. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Superman in his purest form in this story is somebody who's just trying to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, which, you know, is who Superman should be anyways. I mean, that, that's, that's one of the fundamental bedrocks of what makes Superman an awesome hero is that he is the guy that has all this power, but in, you know, in, and instead of enslaving us, instead of using it to become a sports star, instead of using it to become a multimillionaire and, you know, you know, to hell with everybody else, he wants to help us. And I get, I guess this is just, Miller playing with the concept of what happens when that becomes corrupted, but you're right; it does kind of make him less of a less of a uh, a strong character because he is being so influenced by everything around him. He didn't want to be the president, but he's kind of not forced into that position, but he you know he's pushed into that position, and then it just goes all pear shaped from then on. It seems to go okay. Everything seems to be rolling along. You know, there's no war. There's no crime. You know, everyone's being fed. You know, you know, Lana and her children are not standing in line for bread and all that kind of stuff, which that was an interesting way to get him to, to spur him on to public <laughs> <Yeah>. service. Is, 
I'm going to run into my girlfriend who came to the city and she, like everybody else, has to stand in line for bread. Because I never noticed this happening in the months that I've been in the big city. Right. You know, I, I, I've just been flying along and, I, and I'm just like, wow, something must be really popular in that building for that line to be wrapping around it as it is. So, and, and Stalin, <laughs> this, is, this is a minor, minor problem. Right. But Stalin is portrayed as like this really nice guy. Yeah. Like, um. <laughs> and, and it's just like, no, he killed more people than Hitler. I mean, seriously. Yes, I'm. Yeah, he and he's he's almost portrayed like a sort of a kindly old grandfather, and <laughs> I don't know his um, his his resume. It, it is what it is, and it almost feels like this is sort of a whitewash of it. Is almost how it came across. Yeah, I mean, because and, and here's the thing: this is the if you are a member member of this party, this this communist doctrine, and you believe in it, then you then personal achievement really shouldn't matter in the grand scheme of things. You know, Peter's entire issue with Superman is that, well, you're here, so I can't go any further. That's why, why can't you head up the KGB? Do you, do you really want to be the president? Then one after he he's killed, why don't you manufacture the ability to do that? Because no, you know, after Stalin, though, there is a bit of a power vacuum. Why not get this Superman on your side? So it's just Peter's beef with Superman is very human, but it also and, and the fact that he's the one that kills Bruce's parents, which bugs the crap out of me in the second issue that Batman's working with this guy instead of taking him out, which is what I think Batman would do. So I could see it either way, actually. Yeah. Um, I, I like I like Batman as a counterweight in terms of Batman representing anarchy and Superman representing control uh in 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 some senses batman almost taking on the joker role uh but i i like that idea because what you know bat you know what batman is fighting against is authoritarianism and control and and i i think as for being in essence an anarchic figure i, I kind of like that take on batman because that's sort of the equivalent in that system that would be the equivalent of the vigilante or of the lone, uh, the the lone person fighting for justice. Well, and on and on that same line, what I was going to say was that um, I think Batman would prioritize. You know, yeah, he just found um, the the murderer of his parents, but but meanwhile, his country's being taken taken over by a superpowered dictator. I think he'd prioritize. You know, that's maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we also had to have. Uh, you know, and this is the big, you know, middle finger to 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 not Frank Miller, but to how writers have dealt with what Frank Miller did in Dark Knight in the fourth issue of the Dark Knight. Uh, of course, we have to have the the image of Superman punching Batman uh, and knocking him down because you know you need that because because <laughs> because that's that, that's how it would go, right? I mean, you know, Batman's more awesome, right? <sighs> Assholes. Yeah, no, I'm I'm extremely sensitive to that kind of thing myself. I'm actually, boy, we are about to get off topic, but um, well, without getting too far off topic, let's say that all of this, you know, Batman is so awesome stuff. That's actually the main reason why I don't really consider myself a Batman fan anymore. I'm sick of. It's almost like he's he's the center of some sort of weird fucked up cult, 
at this point. He doesn't have fans. He has pilgrims, you know, and that's whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Have you accepted Batman into your heart? There is um there is actually something that uh, popped up at late in the game in the third issue that it was only this time out when I was reading it that sort of it just sort of made me wonder you know um basically Hal Jordan I would think maybe one of the most unstable men on the planet just to look at his history he's selected to be the the new Green Lantern now we're told that Abensur's ship landed in um let me think what year was that 1948 yes okay. Now I'm trying to remember my UFO lore. And um, Ros- yeah, Ro- Roswell's forty-seven, forty-eight. Oh, oh, 47? All right. Well, all right. Well, same difference. All right. Point is, um, it doesn't occur to anybody in the entire fucking Guardians that you know what, Sector twenty-eight, fourteen is without a Green Lantern. Maybe we need to send somebody out there and just have a look around, <laughs> see what the hell's going on out there. And now apparently that that didn't happen and but you know it's 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 just one of those things that you know i can't believe that a uh, a uh, an organization as ocd as the guardians number 1 wouldn't notice something like that but then number 2 wow this planet is falling into some kind of super tyranny you know what maybe what we need to do is send a couple of lanterns here to take this super guy you know down or something uh, would they have an opinion about that? You know, Superman taking everything over, or would they let it ride? I mean, either way, I mean, it's yeah. just they're the ones that introduced the concept of of, of the Green Lanterns, which means there's got to be Guardians out there. I'm not the one that's bringing this to the table. He did, so play it out, dude. I mean, I, it just seems I, I don't I don't get it. I don't under I mean, beyond not just going out and finding automatically finding somebody else, why in the fuck would the Guardians just let an, an entire sector go unprotected? Well, if in 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 terms of of Earth in particular, if they're viewing themselves as a global police force, and they see this Superman character who's in essence acting like Sinestro, mm-hmm. I guess since he's not in their jurisdiction, since he's not one of them, obviously if this I mean this is I mean, he he is in essence behaving like Sinestro, mm-hmm. and since Sinestro is one of them, he gets called on the carpet. But Superman, I guess, not being one of them, though at some point, you know, Kilowog's got to notice when they do their, you know, their roll call that only 28, you know, that that, that they have one missing you know, for 40 years. I mean, at some point, you know, someone would notice. You know, well, Sector 2814, they've been on call, but nobody's, uh, nobody's well, well, picking well, up well, the phone. What we don't know is that Sinestro has taken over his sector since he's in the sector right next to 2814. So he's basically covering, you know, like clocking in for <laughs> Abum Sur. But no, I mean, going, going from a more quote unquote realistic perspective, if I created the most powerful weapon in the universe and I was really selective on who got that weapon. And if, if somebody who held that weapon stopped showing up for work, I would probably send somebody to go look into that. Heck, we have these iPhone things that we use at work now to scan merchandise and check people out and stuff. If one of those goes missing for like 30 minutes, we tear the entire store apart. So I got to assume that with a Green Lantern ring, the stakes would be a little higher there. But it's one of those things. And writers have been doing this for decades. 
And yeah, it drives me nuts, but it's one of those things where, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do about it because you're not writing the story is that they get a good idea and they want to put it in their story and it fits with how they did it, but they're not thinking of the long-term consequences of it. It's why, while this is a fantastic Superman story, I really hesitated to put it on my top 10 Superman stories of all time. One, because a lot of people keep saying that and it's, I'm, I'm, starting to really get annoyed with top 10 lists when it comes to Superman <laughs> stories. But two, I'm kind of tired of the, you know, as good as this is to, at the end of the day, it's a drive by story. Miller gets to come in, do what he wants and leaves. There's no lasting consequences. Now to be fair, unlike say, uh, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, yeah. I'm not meaning to land you up there, but I think you and I have similar problems with that story. You know, it's 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 heralded as this fantastic Superman story. Like, oh my God, it's the best Superman story ever. When really, when you start looking at it, one, it's unfair to judge that to other Superman stories just because you can hand it to somebody who may not like Superman or may not necessarily be a comic book fan and say, here, read this, because of course it's going to get you, because it's the last story. He doesn't have to deal with the fact that Jimmy and Lana are killed, you know? No one has, you know, he doesn't have to deal with the repercussions of Superman giving up his career as a superhero because of what happened with Mr. Mikshez Pitalik. You know, in the very beginning of the story, his Clark Kent identity is completely wiped out. And that's, it's hard to do in terms of making it compelling, but it's easy to do because you're just breaking things. You don't have to build anything up. And... That's why, you know, as much as I like this story, I can't call it one of the greatest Superman stories ever because at the end of the day, it really doesn't have any kind of lasting impact on anything. And yeah, it kind of explores who Superman is, blah, blah, blah. But I think the only reason that this story gets as much credit as it does is because it was written by a writer that is still rather popular. Mark Miller gets has street cred, you know? Yeah. Wanted and, was made into a a, a a film. You have two kick-ass movies. Civil War, probably the most successful story Marvel did in the last decade, I would say. You know, in terms of start to finish. I would you know, agree. It's it selling, you know, everything else that came after it was successful to a certain d- degree, but Civil War is the one that was turned into a novel and then turned into a graphic audio, and I'm sure they're going to be playing with elements from that and the Marvel films coming up, because how can you not? Because it's a, it's something interesting to bring as far as conflict is concerned. Yeah. So I, I think it's almost like Alan Moore's cult of personality that's that's built up around him that makes his Superman stories so beloved is because just because they only did one or two and because they're really popular, we're going to call them the best. And I think it, it just ignores hundreds of other stories that I think deserve that position more than this one. And not it, that I, not that I dislike it. Right. And, it, and it's, I, it's I, not I, that I disagree with you, but it's just, you know, one of the reasons that this plays better for me than to use your example, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, the man of tomorrow, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, when you, Take everything else away from it. It's about one thing. Continuity. If, um, but Red Sun, this is more, this is about, this is about a night, what the fuck is that noise? 
I'm going to go find out. Is that me? No, that's somewhere in my house. Oh. Oh, shit. Are you all right? No. uh, I don't know what... Hold on. (laughs) Please stand by. We are experiencing technical difficulties. We will return soon. Please be patient. The shit has just royally hit the fan, so please stand by while we get everything fixed. Please stand by. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. We are experiencing technical difficulties. We will return soon. Please be patient. The shit has just royally hit the fan, so please stand by while we get everything fixed. Please stand by. We are experiencing technical difficulties. We will return soon. Please be patient. The shit has just royally hit the fan, so please stand by while we get everything fixed. Okay. And there's yeah, actually just, a lot more. You know, when you, when you do weird about. alarms, you want to oh, yeah. kind of know what they are, baby. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Rachel was testing out this new thing that she bought that has a little alarm with it. Oh. Uh, and she didn't know it was going to be that loud. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, it just it we sounded. Were... I'm sorry. We I were debating. I'm the only one who does this because it has a big letters immediately how to turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. So, right. No, it just it sounded like. It sounded like something horrible was happening, like a cat got his tail stuck in a blunt or yeah. something like that. And it, you know, yeah, we were debating rattlesnake versus gas leak. So, <laughs> if a gas leak makes that kind of sound, that would be interesting. Well, you know, if it's right by your mic. But then I guess if it was right by your mic, you probably have other problems. We would have known sooner. Yeah. <laughs> Either that, or I just would have gotten really quiet. <laughs> just like, why is Mike not? Re- I guess he just got sick of it and just forgot to hang up. Meanwhile, I'm he dead. Himself of- forever. <laughs> so sorry about that, guys. Well, you know what? There is marquee value in that. Uh, you know, I could like polybag this in like a black bag <laughs> and put like an armband in it. Like this is the Michael Bailey memorative commemorative like a d- death issue, right? you got to get out a lot of episodes to make this one 75, but I think it can be done. I don't doubt it. Actually, I could go old school and make it 149, you know, and his final episode. Yeah, no, that's, wow, talk about morbid. Okay. <sighs> Basically, um, what I'd like to do is just kind of add a little bit of a nuance into that and say that whatever happened to the man of tomorrow was, it was basically about continuity, and all Alan Moore really had to do was just go in there and take a piss all over that continuity. The email address to send your hate mail is trentusmagnus at gmail.com. That's T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. While Red Sun, this is more about an idea. And if somebody's captivated by the idea behind Red Sun, because you read whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow or one of those other supposedly great and overblown just fucking bullshit story like here's a good like a good example kingdom come how that could ever be somebody's favorite superman story like i'm and i'm talking number one with a bullet there's no idea there it's basically or if there is the idea seems to be superman is wrong 
if there's an idea behind Kingdom Come, it seems to be that Superman's wrong. This, it's, 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 there is, there are other ideas that inform Red Sun, and if, if people are interested in that, I could kind of see it on the grounds that they're not, maybe they're Superman fans and maybe they're not, but what they like is the, the idea that underlies all of this. So, I, you know, I understand your point, it's just that, uh, so, yeah. Um, hey, Michael, how are you doing on, how are you doing on time? Do you need to get going soon, or? No, no, actually, I'm off today, so. Oh, oh, okay. I'm good to go. It's, it's why Monday worked out better. Oh, okay. So well, that's cool. perfect. All right. Well, um, in that case, does anyone else have anything that they want to uh, toss in about Red Sun? Uh, they they liked it. They loved it. They wish Jimmy hadn't been in it or been thrown into the sun. Anything at all? <laughs> a, a couple of things. Back just uh, sort of uh, narratively mm-hmm. in talking about Green Lantern and the way that that was handled. I think part of the problem sort of Millard boxed himself into a corner but sort of taking Wonder Woman off the stage as perhaps, you know, as someone of, of equal force. And, you know, you needed when you're going up against Superman, you need some sort of equivalent uh, power or at least what you might think for five, five or ten pages uh, might be a, might be an equivalent power, as we said, didn't really turn out that way. Um, so I think building up, you know, bringing in the, uh, bringing in the Green Lanterns, were a way of saying, were a way of demonstrating Superman's ultimate power, by so showing how easily he can dismiss this what we would think of as a a force that you know, perhaps could stand up to him. You know, but but you know you need him against a quote unquote worthy opponent. To show just how powerful he is. Okay, and this had not occurred to me until just now, but then what you were saying, it just kind of made me think of all this. Do you buy the idea of Superman? He's not harmed, apparently, by Doomsday, by the Atomic Skull, by the Green Lanterns, by the uh, Amazons who are attacking, any of that. What he's ultimately destroyed by is... An idea. He's destroyed by words. That's what. That, that's how he's ultimately defeated. Lex Luthor writing that note. That's what defeats Superman. I don't Do mind. A, I, I I don't mind a brain over brawn conclusion. Okay. Or or I don't mind Superman being outthought. Michael. Sorry, my dog was barking and it completely distracted me, and I lost my thought altogether. Um, <laughs> well, I wasn't. No, I, I wasn't picking on you. I just thought, you know, no, maybe there's plenty of food here for you to have. No, at. I, I, you know, I am not a big fan of the brain versus brawn thing when it comes to Superman because I think it it pigeonholes Superman into something that it. <laughs> Basically, what it says is Superman's greatest enemy is Lex Luthor is because he's human and intelligent, whereas Superman thinks with his fists. And I think that's kind of a wrong-headed way to take it. Now, um, however, going with that, and it, it, it basically Superman being brought down by a sentence, uh, my problem with that is is that it's a really... You have this all this build up to one moment and then he just caves. You know what I'm saying? Like 
Now, there's a lot of that going around in the story. So. Superman, you know, <laughs> he, he, he's going down this road and it's Lex Luthor basically saying, you know, well, are you going to put the entire world in a bottle? Oh, that reminds me of my greatest failure. And what have I done? Sweet Jesus, what have I done? Become a thief in the night, become a dog on the run. You know, and he starts... Sorry, every time I say, what have I done? I have to go into Lame His. Which is very uncomfortable. My wife does it too. And it's really bad when you're watching commercials about kids getting killed because somebody was texting and driving. But um, Jeez. there is no context for that. I do apologize. Now, that, that, that's actually my bigger problem is that it it's not so much that Superman in the end was brought down by you know, intelligence. It's that he was brought down in a pretty weak way that, that he doesn't, he, he doesn't stop and think about it. He just crumbles to the ground and kind of gets into the fetal position and, and, and has to give everything up. So it just, it, it just I, I don't want it to come off that I, in the end, I didn't like this story because I did. Uh, but it's just, there are weaknesses to it that kind of bug me. And I guess that would be one of them. Okay, does anybody have anything else then? No, I, th- I think we've covered this as, as much as yeah. we... I mean, outside of saying, you know, the artwork, like you said, in the first two, uh, one and a half issues was amazing. And then it, it was good, but not as good as... I, I thought... I liked the sleeker Russian Superman. Whereas I think Plunkett's... That's Plunkett, excuse me, in McLean. Uh, no, Plunkett, uh, Plunkett's artwork was a little more... Everyone had lines on their faces where they really didn't need it. So, but it still had a dy- it was still dynamic and still looked good. And I absolutely love this costume, uh, especially the one that he wears later in the series with the gloves and the collar and everything like that. I have both of the action figures uh, that DC Direct did, and uh, I actually much re- <laughs> the funny one about the one where he's uh, in his president Superman outfit is that his hand is basically molded that it can hold the little brainiac skull that comes with it awesome so uh yeah it's pretty cool okay uh professor you got you have anything else i don't think so i think we covered it pretty well okay all right well then uh that being the case we're going to take another break play a few more promos and we will be right back That's where I'm going to end the show this week. Basically, this episode went kind of long, and it's really too much to include all in one episode, so come back next week when Professor Allen, Michael Bailey, and I all go through another Elseworlds comic. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes. 
or crossover events that can cost a hundred bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarter Bin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who... I don't care for anime. I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I have been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called Views from the Long Rocks. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series or issue or character or whatever to talk about, and then I, well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, The Irredeemable Shag, or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and from there you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Longbox. A podcast about comics, or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life, at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. It was the dawn of the third age of comics, 15 years after the rise of the Comics Code Authority. The Bronze Age was a dream given form. Its goal? To portray superheroes in a way that was socially relevant by tackling real-world issues. It's a catch-all, a place to explore monsters, demons, gunslingers, gods, and superheroes alike. Writers and artists wrapped in house styles of sophisticated realism, creating the stuff of legends. There is no assurance of quality, but it's our last best hope for comic books. This is a retrospective of the true golden age. The year is 1970. The name of the podcast, Uncovering the Bronze Age. Tune into our feed for regular content at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Also home to the Quarterbin Podcast and the Short Box Showcase. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network you can find the home for trentus magnus punches reality at two true freaks.com which is spelled t-w-o-t-r-u-e-f-r-e-a-k-s you can also find it on facebook just by searching for 
Quintus Magnus punches reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, Tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. Music